Good evening. The widening conflict between Israel and Palestinians threatens to ignite into a full-scale war. Dozens are dead in both countries. The GOP dumps Liz Cheney and was the coronavirus developed in a lab. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the WBAI News for Wednesday, May 12, 2021. And former President Donald Trump got his way again. Despite coming up the loser in the race, meeting behind closed doors, GOP lawmakers needed less than 20 minutes and a voice vote to oust the Wyoming congresswoman from her job as their number three House leader. Cheney, daughter of former Vice President Dick Cheney, repeatedly rebuked Trump for his lies, claiming his 2020 reelection was fraudulently stolen. She also knocked Trump's encouragement of supporters to assault at the Capitol on January 6th. On Wednesday, Cheney unrepentantly blasted Trump while telling reporters the country needs a Republican Party. We uh, have had the conference meeting. I uh, am absolutely committed, as I said last night, that we must go forward based on truth. We cannot both embrace the big lie and embrace the Constitution. Going forward, the nation needs it. The nation needs a strong Republican Party. The nation needs a party that is based upon fundamental principles of conservatism. I am committed and dedicated to ensuring that that's how this party goes forward, and I plan to lead the fight to do that. I will do everything I can to ensure that uh, the former president never again gets anywhere near the Oval Office. We have seen the danger that he continues to provoke with his language. We have seen his lack of commitment and dedication to the Constitution, and I think it's very important that we make sure whomever we elect is somebody who will be faithful to the Constitution. Do you feel betrayed by today's vote? I do not. I think that it is a, an indication of where the Republican Party is, and I think that the party is in a place that we've got to bring it back from, and we've got to get back to a position where we are a party that can fight for conservative principles, that can fight for substance. We cannot be dragged backward by the very dangerous lies of a former president. Thank, Thank you. And that's Representative Liz Cheney. Cheney's critics say her offense wasn't her view of Trump, but her persistence in publicly expressing it, undermining the unity the GOP wants to display in advance of next year's elections when they hope to win House control. Several also say GOP voters' allegiance to Trump means the party's electoral prospects without him would be dismal. And in international news, Israel killed a Hamas commander and vowed no let up in its Gaza barrages on Wednesday as Palestinian militants rain rockets far across the border and Washington dispatched an envoy to try and calm their most intense hostility in years. Eileen Alfandari has this report. Israel pounded the Gaza Strip with hundreds of airstrikes, killing at least 53 Palestinians, including 14 children, and wounding more than 300 people, including 86 children. Gaza fighters from Hamas and Islamic Jihad launched more than a 1,000 rockets on Israel, which reached as far as Tel Aviv. Six Israelis are dead and more than 200 injured. The conflict marks the most severe outbreak of warfare between the two sides since the devastating 50-day Gaza War of 2014. Israeli airstrikes brought down two multi-story apartment towers in Gaza. Rami Al-Bagari reports that Gaza residents fear further escalation. In the Shata refugee camp west of the city, Israeli drones hit an apartment killing a mother and her 17-year-old son. Om Faris is a resident of Al-Shata refugee camp and a mother of five children. It is so hard. 
Innocent children are being targeted and killed. How long will this go on? For how long will we remain under occupation? Can you imagine ahead of the Eid? We are experiencing these tough moments when teenagers, children, women are being victimized. This is totally unjust. Mas'ud Rabah is a 70-year-old resident of the Al-Shata refugee camp. My grandchildren woke up shocked. Our house is just behind the one which was attacked. May God take revenge on Israel and those who support it. The Israeli army targeted several residential homes, including a high-rise, where Hamas's offices are located. The building was completely destroyed. In response, Hamas claimed responsibility for launching more than 100 rockets, some of which hit the Tel Aviv suburbs. I am Rami El-Mirari in Gaza. And the violence followed weeks of tension during Ramadan with clashes between Israeli police and Palestinian protesters near Al-Aqsa Mosque in East Jerusalem. A Middle East fellow with the Institute for Policy Studies is Curry Peterson-Smith. There is an ongoing, really, ethnic cleansing in Jerusalem in particular that has escalated over the course of the past year and at the moment has really had a fever pitch in East Jerusalem and particularly centered around this neighborhood called Sheikh Jarrah. East Jerusalem is occupied territory. Israel actually has no legal right to displace people or do any number of other things that they do. Israel is calling it an eviction, but it's really a forced displacement and ethnic cleansing because they have no legal jurisdiction in this part of Jerusalem. At the same time, we're at the end of Ramadan and throughout Ramadan, as happens every year, Israeli police and security forces have had a provocative militarized presence outside of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is this incredibly important holy site for Islam. They both involve heavy police presences because in Sheikh Jarrah, there are Israeli settlers who are trying to actually take Palestinians' homes. And they're protected by the police and by the military. It's this combination we've seen for weeks leading up to this, the police, the courts, in terms of their uh, relationship with the displacement in Jerusalem, these Israeli settlers, fanatical settlers on the ground who have been attacking Palestinians and forcibly trying to remove folks from their homes. Palestinians fought back, responded at the Al-Aqsa Mosque. Police went and invaded the mosque. Palestinians responded. Why are the... Uh the right-wingers in Israel are becoming so powerful and so upset. What happened? As with the far right in this country and the kind of mainstreaming, it didn't come from Donald Trump. It's always been around, and yet we know that Donald Trump, his presidency was kind of a catalyst. You think about Benjamin Netanyahu, who, of course, is a staunch ally of Trump, and they have so much in common. Well, he's the longest-serving prime minister in Israeli history. Imagine if Donald Trump was president for like 15 years. Right. Like, think about, you know, Charlottesville. Think about all of the ways that the far right was emboldened because they had a white nationalist in the White House. And in Israel, they have had that for for many more years. There are these young generation of settler youth who are just fanatics. And you think about these people, if they're 20 years old. Benjamin Netanyahu has been the prime minister for their whole conscious lives. They have never actually been in a war where they have kind of experienced the fullness. And obviously, Israel experiences wars in a very one-sided way. They haven't even experienced that. <laughs> They've been whipped up into this this really racist frenzy by Netanyahu and by the hard right and the far right for year after year. And it's been 
against Iran. It's been against the Palestinians. And they've been itching for a fight. And you can see it. That's why they gather on a routine basis, chanting death to Arabs in Jerusalem and other cities throughout Palestine. One shot deal. We'll just we'll just settle the whole thing right here now. There is a bit of that where the whole project has been of Israel from the start has been it's a Jewish state, right? And that means that the pesky problem of this indigenous Palestinian population who's not Jewish, it poses a problem for them. And so the debate has been, do we just kind of subjugate these people and have them live as second class citizens? Do we expel all of them? And do we do that quickly? Or do we do that slowly? And at the moment, the sentiment is, let's just go for it. And so you can see that reflected in the police. You can see that reflected in the Israeli population itself. But the Palestinians won't go away. They haven't gone away. They continue to resist. And you can see that defiance in the streets in Jerusalem and and elsewhere today. And as, as a matter of fact, All across Israel, there is this crackdown on Palestinians. In Haifa, the mayor set up checkpoints to prevent Palestinians from entering the city, supposedly as outside agitators. But what does this mean in practice? It means that the Palestinian population in that city and in other cities are experiencing a police crackdown. They are being drawn into this. Israelis are bringing the fight to the entire Palestinian population. Now in Gaza, they have responded because Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem is under attack. And so now Israel is attacking Gaza. The mood among Palestinians is one of defiance. So whatever the hopes of settlers and of the Israeli state that Palestinians will simply go away and give up, that's not what's happening. And that is Corey Peterson-Smith. He's a Middle East fellow with the Institute for Policy Studies. And back here in the United States, drivers waited on long lines at gas stations in the southeast today after a hack of the nation's largest fuels pipeline led to a collapse in distribution and panic buying, draining supplies at thousands of gas stations. The Colonial Pipeline delivers 45% of the fuel consumed on the East Coast. It was hit Friday with a cyber attack by hackers who lock up computer systems and demand a ransom to release them. William Buddington is a spokesperson for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. He says the problem is the openness built into the internet in its idealistic early years. It takes files that are on your computer and it encrypts the files in a way that only the attackers, in this case Darkseid, can decrypt them. And then it says it displays a message saying pay us this much money in order to get the decryption key or have us decrypt it for you. It's like legal kidnapping, legal in the sense of they just can get away with it. Is that true? The first thing it does, the very first thing is it checks the language settings of the machines that it's run on. If it has language settings that correspond to the former Soviet bloc, any of the former Soviet, you know, Romanian, etc., Russian, it actually doesn't uh, continue forward with the attack. So it stops the attack, uh, you know, in the initial stages. Um, that makes me think that perhaps they don't want to irk the authorities in wherever they're, they're residing. It's clear from their communications that there is some kind of language barrier when translated to English. So if I was to speculate, it would be a, a Russian involved. By Russian, though, we don't mean the Russian government. We need within the Russian territory. It could be anybody within Russia doing this. Yeah, that's right. And the dark side ransomware group has said themselves that they're not affiliated with any government. It looks like from reports that it's actually true that the cybersecurity experts to a large degree say that that's probably a true statement, that it's not Russia government involved, that it's an independent group that's mostly in it for the money. From a computer perspective, from the perspective of the Electronic Frontier Foundation, what does that say about our country's defenses against this kind of thing? 
Yeah, it was over 5,000 miles, you know, 5,500 miles of pipeline uh, that uh, the, uh, the the firm uh, Colonial Pipeline had shut down. And it was probably a we, you know, speculation here, be, again, because uh, some of this is unreleased uh, and it's still under investigation by the FBI and DHS, et cetera. Um, but it was uh, speculated that they, they shut it down themselves in order to prevent further attack on the infrastructure here. Um, it's uh, it's definitely uh, says, uh, you know, points to critical failures in some of the major infrastructural pieces of what we all rely on in this country. Previous attacks have only been revealed because cybersecurity firms stepped up and let the government know about them. You know, in this case, the FBI got involved and you know, we're going on the word of current investigations. Darkseid didn't really intend to hit that big of a target or make that big of a splash. Their whole business model is to ironically breed trust in the ransomware because they need the people that they're extorting to trust that they will actually decrypt that material once they get the money. So they actually need trust of their victims. They also are trying to reach out to hackers to employ them. Uh, and they have this website called Dark Side Leaks to actually kind of make it look like a, a nice, shiny public face. It seems to me um, that the Internet was something that was invented in the 1970s by sort of idealistic young people in their parents' garage. And so they didn't and they wanted to use it for science and for trading data openly, you know, which you do in science. And uh, that the Internet just is, has a basic fatal flaw. <laughs> like it's not very good for anything you have to do that's secure. <laughs> yeah, and I think that this is probably a wake-up call. There needs to be better defenses. There needs to be some way for some of that information to kind of go offline. I think that in our rush to just throw everything online to make it easier, corners were cut. And really, what we need to look at is how to bring some of that material that should be protected offline. William Buddington is a spokesperson for the Electronic Frontier Foundation. And today was day three of USA versus Donziger, the trial in Manhattan Federal Court, where Stephen Donziger is uh, facing contempt of court charges and six months in jail, although he's been held for nearly two years in house home detention as part of the case. Uh, he's refused to give over certain tapes and other information to the court, which has uh, been trying him uh, for his success in winning a case in Ecuador against the oil giant Chevron. Rebecca Miles has the story. During day three, defense lawyer Ron Kuby continued his cross-examination of prosecution witness Anne Champion. Kuby to Champion, so your firm charged $3 million in fees to try and collect $830,000. Champion, we were also seeking to stop enforcement of the $8 billion judgment in U.S. courts. Stephen Donziger is on trial in Manhattan Federal Court for failing to turn over his computer, phones and other electronic devices and refusing court orders to surrender his passport in a civil case brought by Chevron Corporation. U.S. District Judge Loretta Presker is presiding over the case with no jury. In opening statements on Monday, prosecuting attorney Rita Glavin said Donziger had consciously chosen to disobey court orders to turn over his devices, stating choices have consequences. 
Martin Garbus, arguing for Donziger, said the court had not initially been clear about what it wanted the lawyer to hand over. The case is the latest twist in a long-running battle stemming from Donziger's representation of villagers in Ecuador's Lago Agrio region who sued Chevron in war- for water and soil contamination in the Amazon forest between 1964 and 1992. Chevron said Texaco, which was a Acquired by Chevron had cleaned up the pollution and the state-owned Petro Ecuador was mainly responsible for contamination. Donziger, however, won in 2011 a $9.5 billion judgment against Chevron in an Ecuadorian court. Later that year, the U.S. company sued Donziger in Manhattan Federal Court, claiming him and his association pressured the presiding judge <coughs> in Ecuador. U.S. District Court Judge Lewis Kaplan in 2014 ruled in favor of Chevron, saying the Ecuadorian judgment had been secured through bribery, fraud, and extortion. Chevron sought to recoup money Donziger reaped as a result of the judgment, and Donziger was ordered to turn over certain electronic devices to the company forensic expert. When he refused, Kaplan charged him with criminal contempt. Donziger has said the charges violate his rights to due process under the U.S. Constitution. It was revealed today during cross-examination, Chevron witness Anne Champion admitted she spent 100 hours in 20 meetings helping private prosecutor Rita Glavinen try to convict Donziger. Champion billed Chevron over $1,000 an hour. Donziger has spent 638 days under house arrest. If found guilty of the misdemeanor case, the maximum sentence he could face in prison is 180 days. Rebecca Miles, WBAI, New York. And prosecutors will present more witnesses tomorrow with the defense making their case on Monday. And lawyers for the family of a North Carolina black man fatally shot by sheriff's deputies say body cam video they were allowed to uh, they were allowed to view shows he didn't strike them with his car before deputies opened fire. That's contrary to the story of a local prosecutor. Christina Onstead reports. Chance Lynch is a lawyer for the Brown family. He says the body camera videos show Brown didn't strike officers with his car before they opened fire. It was absolutely and unequivocally unjustified. When they opened the door, there were no weapons found. Lynch says they heard so many shots in the video, they couldn't keep track of how many were fired. Brown's two adult children are calling for the shooting officers to be held accountable and charged in Brown's death. He wasn't in the wrong at all. What's in the light? What's in the dark going to come to the light? My father did not deserve to die at all. He did not deserve to get killed in any way, shape, or form. He did not pose any threat at all. Lawyers for Brown's family, in addition to Democratic Governor Roy Cooper and civil rights activists, have called for a special prosecutor to step in. I'm Christina Onestead. And in New York City, Councilperson Daniel Drum and Police Commissioner Dermot Shea had an angry exchange during a city council hearing at the police overtime pay that soon became a debate over who owes who respect. So you have not been able to stick to your budget, Commissioner. Your job is to stick to your budget. What are you going to do this time around to stick to your budget? You agreed to the budget. You blew it. Are you going to blow it again? Let me just say, council member, if, if my officers spoke to the public this way, I would fire them. 
I think it's completely disrespectful to, to have a, a, a showmanship. Let's have an honest conversation and a back and forth where we can actually accomplish something rather than what you're trying to do. Commissioner, the people of New York City deserve better. Commissioner, I find it hard to believe a lot, a lot of what you say. Okay, you still have not produced any reason or any correlation between the change of laws, and I hear you on television all the time about bail reform and the correlation between the increase of crime. It seems to me that you're scapegoating things, and, and that is not acceptable. I'm sorry, it's just not acceptable. And as Queen City Councilperson Daniel Drum and NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea. And in more city news, members of the Empire State Coalition, renowned architects and civic groups gathered to protest the planned destruction of the once glorious Hotel Pennsylvania, one of three buildings designed by McKim, Mead and White as part of the Pennsylvania Railroad Midtown Manhattan Transportation Complex. It opened in the 20th century. At the time of its opening, the Hotel Pennsylvania was the largest hotel in the world. City Council candidate Marty Halasso was there and says New York City can't develop its way out of its economic and social problems. Well, the plan is to actually build 10 skyscrapers on top of Penn Station. And my position is, yes, Penn Station needs to be updated. The two tunnels need to be fixed because they were damaged from Hurricane Sandy. But do we need 10 skyscrapers on top of Penn Station? No, we don't. (laughs) And what that will entail is that it entails the demolition of two citywide blocks, tenants' homes, the second oldest Roman Catholic church, existing small businesses. So it's something that would really be harmful to the community. The Cuomo administration and also our mayor and also our speaker, Corey Johnson, their main impetus right now is to really hyper-gentrify the city with luxury development. There's this weird calcified thinking going on in development nowadays. You have to demolish for progress. It doesn't take into consideration the historical values of buildings that have been around for 100 years. It doesn't take into consideration what the community wants. I have a real problem with that. What I'm trying to do is find mechanisms where that would actually hinder corruption. People are talking about a clawback mechanism, almost a a mechanism to impeach the council member. If they're not acting for the community, the community actually can impeach them. And as City Council candidate Marnie Halas said today's protests, activists say the structure simply needs to be updated. That's Penn Station and can return as a premier hotel, the Pennsylvania Hotel, that is, in Midtown. Members of the coalition are calling on elected officials to stop Governor Cuomo's Empire Station complex plan. And the Landmarks Preservation Commission is uh, wants they're calling on them to designate Hotel Pennsylvania and the other important historic properties in the proposed areas to designate them as landmarks. They say excellent alternatives exist that deserve consideration. The Empire State Coalition was accompanied by Marvin Carter and his band who played the famous song, Pennsylvania 6, 5000. Wednesday, May 12, 2021. The news was produced by Linda Perry, our engineers, Rishi Johnson from New York City. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.